Hey everybody, I'm Jesse Humphrey. Welcome to another episode of After the Gig. Today on the show, I have Nashville-based drummer Megan Jane. This is the first time I had ever met or talked to Megan. Uh, I was actually really nervous <laughs> to talk to Megan because she's another drummer. She went to Berkeley. So there's always these thoughts of like, oh man, do they have the same experience or are they going to be like, I have no idea. We don't have anything in common. But it turns out we had literally the exact same experience. We get into a ton of stuff about her gigs, about her BAM side piece, about living in Boston, moving out to California, eventually coming to Nashville, breaking into the Americana scene, and tons of other stuff. Megan has played with several artists live in the studio, Chrissy Metz, Cree Harrison, Lauren Jenkins, Aaron Enderlin, Sonia Lay, Haley Steele, Hannah Dasher. There's just a ton of stuff. Uh, it was truly a pleasure to, to speak with Megan. And um, if you're wondering why I'm talking so quiet, it's because I have uh, a little something going on with my voice. Not sure exactly what it is. And it's also 10.30 p.m. And I'm trying not to wake my son up. So... Without further ado, let's get to this great conversation. I really love this conversation um, and uh, getting to know uh, Megan Jane. Please enjoy. Hey. Um, I was expecting you to have have a big fro. <laughs> yeah, not, when I don't have a show or a photo shoot or anything like that, the hair gets a day off. Nice. Is it like a lot to to maintain and do? No, I mean it, my hair is naturally like that. It's all in the cut, but I, I'm just lazy. Like quarantine has totally <laughs> I'm at peak lazy. Oh my god, me too. Look at this place. <laughs> not gonna do it. Yeah, my place is like. <laughs> I, I'm a new dad, so I, um, and we live in a two bedroom apartment in Providence and it's, uh, kind of a nightmare. We've grown out of it so fast and, uh, our son is just walking everywhere already. He started walking at nine months, uh, and we weren't prepared for oh it goodness. and now he's running and he's just like he's grabbing drumsticks constantly he's over he's over finding my guitars in the bedroom like i have no no space is is safe really i have no like workspace or anything so i've just been trying to like tell my wife like hey um can you guys like go out for a walk or bookstore it seems <laughs> like it's a nice day today you guys would really enjoy a uh, uh, mommy and son day <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, awesome congratulations on on the little one thank you um yeah it's it's uh it's insane pandemic is a weird time to do really anything and, yeah and having a kid has kind of like saved a lot of uh of like stress and de and borderline depression <laughs> so it's right just, it's just been kind of crazy but yeah you have to be focused on a kid and like you know you're a touring guy imagine you know, you being on the road right now, it's like you're getting this time that you wouldn't get otherwise. Right. Totally. So, and, and it's like a whole other stressful thing. Like I know Annie is, is, you know, a new mom and everything. And, 
and just being on the road and the idea of being on the road for an extended period of time, especially when you have to like make up for lost gigs that have been rescheduled later in the year. Now things are kind of like condensed and crushed together. So time that would have been like three days on the road and then, you know, a few days off to be at home are now like six days on the road. So it's just, uh, it's another added stress that's kind of coming. It's like this looming thing that's going to (laughs) happen at the end of the year. Um, but I don't know. Do you have a lot of stuff that's been kind of like moved and pushed back that, that you're looking forward to or like, or have to kind of plan for a little differently? Yeah. I mean, the big stuff still is getting pushed further, further out, you know, in true, um, gig fashion when things happen they happen all at once yeah and things are starting to happen in march like side piece we're gonna play all the preds games um and then i think i yeah it's so much fun those gigs are really fun they're really quick um and then i have a bunch of other little shows and it's like oh crap i have to get back in that mode of preparing and playing yeah and I don't know if you have this problem, but me, like, I'm nervous about socializing again because we've just, we've just not been around anybody for extended periods of time. So yeah, there, there's some stuff coming up that I'm super excited about. Uh, the bigger stuff is obviously going to be waiting a while. Right. Yeah. I, I feel that too. Like I haven't, I haven't seen any of my close friends we we have seen family like my sister watches my son on fridays and stuff just just for like you know so my wife and i can can um work and stuff she works at a hotel in boston which has opened up and you know they're doing things safely and then i started working part-time for my brother who does the amazon last mile delivery like the amazon van prime things um which is was like the complete opposite of what everyone else experienced last year you know everyone is losing their jobs and finally for unemployment and then my brother got into this thing and it's like you know it's it's nuts he got very very lucky um but with all that and actually socializing like i have no plans to to really like part like not party but like see people in any kind of like intimate social setting other than just going out and working and playing gigs and wanting to like get out in front of people again you know um that that's really that's really my key focus but it's uh it's not playing a preds game (laughs) that's for sure which (laughs) sounds like one of the most fun things ever (laughs) it's so it's so much fun because we just play in between periods so it's like six songs total and we get to watch the game and they're doing like limited limited capacity like they're yeah handling the protocols really strictly but it's like just like this little glimmer of normal life going right when you go see us like a game what kind of stuff do you guys play when you play those things is it Sporty, to, it's not sporty stuff. It's like, it's like, you know, real music. <laughs> <laughs> like we try to keep it high energy across the board and like do something slightly unexpected. Like last time we played, one of my favorite things we did is we did crazy train. Yes. And then like, when we get into the solo, we go into like bluegrass and just <laughs> like let it rip because Megan Mullins is such a great fiddle player. It's like, yeah. let's, let's show it off and let's do something Nashville. 
I love it. Um, so, so yeah, we just try and keep it high energy and keep it fun and, you know, make an impression. Yeah. That's awesome. When I was checking out your, uh, well, when I was talking to Annie, he rec- uh, she recommended that you would, she's like, you got to talk to Megan. She's a drummer and she's a great interview. I wanted to talk to all the members of side piece anyway. So, um, I was checking out your website and I was watching your, your drummer reel, the, um, the pro, the 2020 promo video. It's fucking awesome. You've played on so many high, high profile things with, with like great production and you have so much great video of you playing that it just came together. And I love, I love like the pacing of it. It just looks really great and it came out really great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a gift of early on in quarantine. I was like, okay, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to work on my website. I'm going to work on a promo video. And yeah, like luckily I had access to a bunch of high quality production stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's, I think a necessary evil of being a freelance musician is you need to have all of that stuff ready to go. Yeah, for sure. But Did I appreciate you... that. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Um, there was one kit that you were playing in um it was one of those uh videos of you performing in studio and i can't remember the artist that it was for uh you were playing this like blue oyster ludwig kit yeah is that your kit or is that yeah that's yours yeah it's beautiful like they they stopped making the turquoiser that's the wrap that's that was the wrap yeah okay this beautiful ludwig kit and uh for whatever reason like i think it's like two or three years ago they were like we're gonna discontinue this rap and i just i'm so glad i got one because i love turquoise it's a gorgeous kit it sounds great it looks great on stage it looks like turquoise is a great color like under lights and stuff yeah i play i play uh all ludwig kits now and i have the the um it's like it's a classic maple but with a white sparkle like a white um marbly sparkly wrap on it and it's like so fun to play and those ludwig drums are just i don't know i've i've always it's like the history of those drums and also like how great they sound they just makes you feel yeah good when you sit behind them i don't know yeah like like my first kit was a tama kit because i was obsessed with kenny arnoff and so i was yes. like oh, i'm just gonna get everything that he's got and then you know, as my ears started developing, then I got into Bonham and like my first Ludwig kit, I was just obsessed. And I was yeah. like, this is, this is the sound, like the vintage stuff I find to be very versatile, but it's also fits the sound that I do most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turquoise kit is a modern kit, but it sounds vintage. Right. And that's what I love. It's just really warm. What are the sizes um, on it? Uh, 24, 24, 13, 16. Yeah. Yeah. That big rock, um, rock bottom kit. Yeah. I love it. It's like, if I go to 26, like I'm not that big. I don't, I just think it would be just too much. Yeah. But I would definitely try it. I went to your Instagram and I, I peeked that Slingerland kit. Oh, that, that little got. guy, that little chopped, uh, kick drum. Yeah. How deep is that? It's eight inches deep. Well, how, it's, how, uh, how high? Uh, it's 22. So it's a 22 by eight. So that kit, it's a funny story because I go to this small drum shop in, in Rhode Island 
um i was living in boston for many years but i would still i would go to like you know boston drum shop up in uh uh danvers or somewhere up north off of route two up there we'll talk about berkeley and boston and stuff after but i used to go to that place but their drum sets were always so expensive up there they had like the top of the line dw like these jazz kits they didn't really have any bigger sizes or anything so i found this drum shop in rhode island where i'm from and this guy was doing was taking old shells he was taking a lot of like old slingerland shells old ludwig shells from like the 50s and 60s and stuff and he was refurbishing them and rewrapping them there's another company called Wahlberg and Auger which I'm technically an endorser of I'm not like on the site or anything but I know the guy and he, he helped he hooks me up and stuff but like he does all of their refurbishing and of their old drums because they're like one of the oldest drum companies that a lot of people haven't heard of which is surprising right. but I have one of their snares and their snares are incredible it's like kind of like a hand hammered black beauty um cool. uh 14 by seven and a half 14 by seven and a half yeah it's awesome oh wow but that slingerland kit i went in there one day just checking out stuff and it's one of those spots that you know maybe you'll go there one day and you don't really find anything or like all their inventories kind of shit but then that one day where he completed some cool project where that kick drum the front had like water damage so he chopped yeah. it in half and or chopped it and whatever salvaged the the good part made another uh bearing edge got a new you know ring around the front and turned it into this amazing incredibly versatile kit that i use for like almost every gig i have and i got another i got another ludwig rewrapped kind of refurbished kit from them it's a red sparkle and Mm -hmm. i play those kits all the time because my other kits are in virginia with the band so like I'm playing on these like little cool kind of Frankenstein chopped up, you know, kits. Those are the other. best. But you open them up to change the heads. You know, you see a new wrap on the outside. It's not discolored or anything. And so it's pre- pretty much brand new. But then you open up, take off a head and you see like this beautiful old, um, you know, uh, shell that has so much history to it. And they have these, you know, it, it's... Uh, and they sound so good. They just sound yeah. so good. You pop a new head on it or, um, and there's a lot of debate about that, whether you want to keep heads on for a long time or whatever. I usually don't, but, um, mm-hmm. but I love, I love those two kits and, and I, it's really all I use. And then I have the other one with that travels with the band. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And speaking of Virginia, you're from Virginia, right? And what, a seg- in, what a segue. <laughs> and you play in a Virginia band. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's so crazy. It's a, it's such a weird thing that happened. How did how did that happen for you? Uh, I was playing drums for Stephen Kellogg, which, um, do you know Stephen at all? I don't know him, but Haley Steele is yeah. in the other room staying at our house for Are you serious? a couple days. Yeah. Oh my God. Haley Steele. <laughs> she, uh, yeah. So I met Haley when I was on the road with him and, and, um, so I did the rock boat uh, a few times, but one time when I was on the rock boat with Steven, I met Carter, who was the guitarist for, for Carbon Leaf, and they uh, um, we were doing like a jam or something on, on the pool deck, and I got to play with Carter, and they were going, I think they went through like five drummers that year or something. Um, oh, God. They had a guy for like 10 or 10, 12 years, something like that, and... Um, 
and they parted ways and then they went through a few people and and I eventually ended up being the last one. So small world. Where in Virginia are you from? I've been talking a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you're talking. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Goochland, which is in between Charlottesville and Richmond. My parents oh. are still out there on a on a farm. Uh, when I got to about middle school, I started going to school in Richmond at a Catholic school, um, and then high school. I was at James River in like Chesterfield. So most of the time, like, I feel like I really missed out on the Richmond scene. Mm. Like in high school, I wasn't going out. I wasn't checking out bands. And like between Charlottesville and Richmond, there were some really great music scenes at that time. Right. So I have a lot of regret that I missed my formidable years with what was just in my backyard. Yeah, in high school, I wasn't playing in bands. And so it was a really awkward transition from high school to, oh, shit, I'm going to go to music college and I don't know how to play with other humans. So that was like a major disservice to myself. Like, that's not the place where you want to have that learning curve. You want to have that experience before you go there. That's funny that you say that because... I had almost the same exact experience where I didn't really know how to play with other people until I moved to Boston. I also had that kind of rude awakening when I went to Berkeley and I was just such an over player. And I, you know, I've seen in, in your stuff that, you know, the less is more quote and all that. And, and kind of taking after drummers like Cindy Blackman and, and uh, you know, just great, great, solid like steve jordan and all, all these these musical drummers that do uh do such a service to the music that they play and for the artists that they play with but i like you i did not did not take advantage of the musicians that were in my backyard and did not learn how to play to pe with people until i was like you know almost cast out <laughs> from from my professors <laughs> at Berkeley they're just like what are you doing <laughs> you're playing yeah. too much so yeah i didn't learn how to read a chart until until i went there i was just like i don't know what yeah. i was doing before then but yeah. i'm you're glad like, that someone else had the same experience <laughs> yeah i was just like man i just want to play you know it's just going to be easy and everyone's going to be cool and yeah, Berkeley was an eye opener where it was just like immediately from the gate, like pretty cutthroat. And like I heard you and Annie talking about the rating system, which is like extremely traumatizing, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, like when you're that young, unless like you are advanced and you've had a lot of training, like you aren't encouraged to know what your voice is on your instrument. It's just you're playing or you're emulating something. Or you're like, look the fuck at me. Look what I can do. And not for me, like I couldn't recognize like there's a time and a place for that. And restraint will go a longer way than using like overusing your voice or what you think is your voice. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, I wish I wish there was someone that told me right off the bat, like, hey, you don't know everything. And then two you don't have to know everything when you first come here, but also yeah. you're going to get thrown into situations where this is 
they're I get I get when they when professors do things like saying, hey, what do you do? And hey, you need to do that. Or or they they say, all right, well, if you can't play that or like this, then we're going with the other guy. We're going to go with someone else because that's a real world experience. And I understand that. But yeah. I wish I wish that there was the guy or the girl or the or the, just the mentor there that said those things like, hey, this is what it's going to be like. And you need to adapt to that. And this is what's important. Here's A, B, and C, what to check out. Um, there was a little yeah. bit of like, oh, you should check out this stuff and this stuff. But it, there's so much, there's so much um, ambiguity or, or, or just open-endedness of a lot of the teaching that goes on there, which I think is crazy when you pay so much for an education. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, you can tell. I didn't, I didn't enjoy all of my experience there. And I was there, you know, I, I did four years there and still didn't finish. And I saw you did two. Were you in, were you in like, wow. um, well, I ended up going, uh, part-time for, for a little while for some health, health issues, but you were there oh. for two years. Were you on a two year plan or two year track or something? Or did you just go and then leave after two years? I just, I, my first year I was on guitar and just got eaten alive. And I was like, I fucking hate this. I want to quit music. I don't want to do anything. Um, and then, you know, after some gentle prodding from some friends and realizing I wanted to be on drums, so I was like, okay, I'll try drums my second year. And that learning environment wasn't me. Like it, it wasn't helpful. I wasn't receptive to anything. Um, I think each person learns a little bit differently. And for me, I found out, uh, I don't learn well in an, in a aggressive environment. And I found it very aggressive. Yeah. And if I could opt into a particular teaching style, like what you're talking about a little bit, I think I would have been more receptive to it, maybe. Um, but honestly, going there made me hate music. And it's a, a big statement to say, it's a great school. It just wasn't for me. Oh my God. I have, I, I love what you're saying right now. <laughs> Because I don't have I a lot, of, a lot of my friends have the opposite point of view, and maybe it was because I never felt um, I never felt like kind of part part of that world. Like there was there was players there that were just so good at networking right off the bat, and it made me kind of yeah. get in, go into a shell, and and it, there was no nothing there. And no, no one uh, that I was looking up to to get me out of that shell and and make me feel at all comfortable. I had some I had some really close friends that helped out, but it made music not the priority, you know. And I ended up gravitating, right. yeah, and I ended up gravitating towards friends that I made at uh, BU and you know started a band with with those guys and and. Um, I just couldn't take the all music all day, every single day. It felt like an unhealthy obsession that people had with it. And do you feel that way? I, I know you talk about uh, 
Berkeley and how you didn't like it, how it made you hate music, but was music, is music kind of like everything for you or do you feel like you have a little bit more balance in your life? Um, I've learned to create the balance. Um, I guess because my attention span isn't that long. Like I, I'm good at practicing and having a routine and committing to that. And I was decent at it in school, but my attention span is it so I can practice 12 hours and still function as a human? Like, I, I don't operate like that. Now it's making sure that I carve out time to have other interests and have more of a balance. Because um, mm-hmm. it makes me like music more. If it was all I did, I wouldn't feel like a complete human and that I had something else to bring to the table uh, when I do play. It's just, it's pressure i don't know if that's the right way to say it it's like i have this conversation a lot with uh, a bunch of my friends that you know we're being in this industry you kind of get your identity as a person gets tangled with what you do and if you don't have a balance of some other things in there when something goes wrong or you have a bad gig or you get fired or god forbid you get injured and you can't play you're like, who the fuck am I? Right. It's like, if you put all those eggs in that basket, you're just setting yourself up for disaster in my mind, in my experience, in my personal experience. I think that's, I mean, I think that's smart. I think that's healthy <laughs> for especially healthy. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, com- completely. And in and, and this time when nobody can really play or no one was really able to play, I know that something things are starting to come back a little by little depending on where you are in the country but um yeah that whole feeling of not having an identity like before the pandemic and before before becoming a dad you know my identity was a musician in a band a guy that plays uh, that's that's what i'm like known for like that's you know, you think of me and if you know who I am, then that's what I do. And for a whole year, it was not that it, it became, it became, you are this guy that stays home and takes care of this little human and music is just, you know, whatever, whatever you can figure out for a whole year. Yeah. Um, and that was like the hardest part for me for that, that whole time. Yeah. But I think having balance and liking other things. I love sports. Sports weren't on during that whole year either, <laughs> except for you know when football was back, <laughs> it was it was fantastic. And now that hockey's back, it's even great. But it's just, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for people to find that balance. And that was one thing that that I didn't like when I was at Berkeley when I was trying to study in the quiet room at the 150 building. I don't know if they had that when you were there. It was near the library. They had it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go in there because outside that glass door was a bunch of people singing at the fucking top of their lungs. And it was, it annoyed me. It's one of those things that makes you cringe. It's like, can you just turn it off for one fucking second, please? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) At the, at the time when I was there, uh, the conservatory, they were using our, our dining hall. Mm -hmm. We were sharing it. And it's like, some of those kids were just on all the time, just musical theater constantly. And it's like, uh, yeah, I have a hard time with people that are always on and can't just 
chill the fuck out <laughs> and yeah, just, just calm down. Just be quiet. You know, you don't yeah. have to fill up all the space with sound. Yeah. But to add on what you said, like this year's definitely been a bit of a mind fuck as far as, um, identity as a musician, identity as a human and looking for the places where you can get that validation or that release or that sense of belonging and creating, which most of us have been completely deprived of. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. And I think I definitely struggle and go back and forth when I'm just like, okay, I'm reprioritizing. Like, what do I need for music? What am I not willing to sacrifice to have it just like get rid of all the bullshit right and just the things that i need and that i want and that part's good but then you have like the other days where you're just like i'm like i don't know who i am i don't know what my purpose is like i don't know if i want to do music anymore and those moments they pass pretty quickly but it's scary having them again and i think there's probably a bunch of people out there that are in that same boat and it's okay to acknowledge that and admit it. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. I've absolutely 100% had those thoughts and I've like cried because of it and I've punched walls because of it. And it's, and it's, (laughs) it's really frustrating when something, when something that is just such a big part of your life is just taken away. And that's the other thing that makes you, that makes me more angry than just the not being able to play stuff it's the fact that someone else is, has taken it away or something else has taken it away and it's not in my control because that is what makes it hard. And then you see other things come back and then the thing that was taken away first is going to be the thing that comes back last. So it's yeah. just, uh, it's just, you know, we're, we're really getting the short end of the stick this time, this time around. And, and you know what? There's way worse things happening to people than, they're not being concerts yeah. right now, but it's our experience. You know, it's, it's the thing that we, that we know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. Did, uh, do you think that that aspect of your personality, like being able to be the, the chill one, like the, the calming force in a room, which I feel from you, I do like, you seem like a really like level headed, like calm, like this is, I want to hang out with Megan when my brain is scattered because she's going to be the one that's going to kind of cool me out. Do you have an opinion about how that's affected your life and your work in the music industry and the gigs that you've been able to get and maintain and, you know, just things like that? Definitely. I think being low maintenance goes a long way in what we do. Um, and being reliable, no drama definitely is a selling point in, and gets me in rooms and keeps me in rooms. Um, and it's, I, that's always been a part of my personality is like, uh, wanting to help people or comfort them, which I think goes hand in hand with playing music. Uh, it's wanting to create some sort of emotional bed for people to feel safe in. Right. Um, yeah, I definitely think that has been an asset for me where, I'm not afraid to talk about difficult things. Like I won't shy away from them. I love to communicate, uh, which some people don't like or are uncomfortable with. Are you talking about 
like uh, relationship stuff, like musical decisions or choices or like money or, you know, all of the above? I think like when basically, you know, being in a band or playing music with people, you're dating, like you're in a relationship. And when something inevitably comes up where there's a disagreement or something goes wrong, if someone's not willing to show up to the table and equally communicate, that's when, you know, it's not productive. And for me, it's like, I can usually tell right away when someone isn't open-minded about having a conversation or isn't willing to be vulnerable. Hmm. Uh, which I think, you know, when you are in a band and you play music with each other and you rely on each other, you are vulnerable. So having the communication just makes that so much stronger. And there's just some people that don't, don't want to give an inch. They don't want to be vulnerable, which is fine. But when you become, when you, when you get to an impasse, communication is key. I'm kind of like in the middle of something like this (laughs) at the the moment. (laughs) And, uh, it's, com- yes, communication is 100% key. And I can, in me personally, I can definitely be, definitely be a bit hardheaded. And, and yeah. if, if I'm like attacked or if I feel like I'm not being heard in some way, my, my go-to thing that I, that I try so hard, it's like, you know, it's like practicing behind the drums and instead of playing a Led Zeppelin song, you got to sit and do the paradiddles. Um, but it's like, it's, it's one of those things where my go-to thing is just to shut down and be like, you know, fuck the, I, I'm just not going to speak. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, I'm not going to speak my mind ever again because this is how I get repaid. Um, but it's, it's so, it's so key to develop the skill um, it seems like you're already good at it, but to develop the skill that, that you need to be able to work with other people and understand where they're coming from and figure out ways to get other people to understand where you're coming from, because everyone has different personalities and you have to speak to people differently. And, or at least that's in my yeah. experience, like, I think that is a good skill to have. Um, that, it, I mean, having, yeah, some, I, having someone like being able to, to do that and to speak like that and to have difficult conversations is invaluable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially when like the majority of the time, like I'm going to have a boss, I am answering to someone, I am responsible to them to not only play the drums, but to be prepared to show up on time to communicate ideas and to also be receptive, I think um, it's a constant ego check and being yeah. like, if I'm having a reaction, am I reacting from my ego or am I actually being attacked? And like, like very much in, in the situation, real time, having to assess that. And it's hard because we're emotional creatures. Musicians are extremely sensitive. And again, going back to the identity thing, if someone's like, I don't like what the fuck you just played. You know, it's, it feels like a personal attack. Mm. So it's, it's hard. Like those, those relationships are really hard. And the way that I look at it is my job is to be of service. And 
I will do anything and everything I can within reason to try and meet that expectation. But if that other person is not being rational or are not calm, then you just have to, you have to know where your boundary is with that sort of stuff. How do I get better at keeping my ego in check? (laughs) What do I, I, Megan, help me. No, it's it's been a a problem. (laughs) It's definitely been a problem for me over the course of my career. Like I've, my early, my early band that I was in, in Boston, like I would constantly get into the fight. It's always me and the lead singer getting into fights with each other. It's, it's like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Or me getting angry at, at something or some kind of collaborative thing where I think my idea is better or, and I'm just like not giving an inch and stuff. And I, and I know now, Mm -hmm. like after years of like, of thinking about these things over and over again, man, like, it's just like, you're being such a fucking asshole, dude. Like, this is me talking to myself. It's like, you just need to chill. Nothing is that like, you have, you know, everyone's coming from a place of trying to be helpful and just acting like that isn't helpful. And, and it doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere other than just angry with each other. So I'm trying, I'm getting better. I think. I mean, you sound (laughs) self-aware, which is definitely self-aware. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's the most difficult part. And it's like, you know, if you can remind yourself exactly what you just said in the moment, everyone's got the same goal. As long as everyone's got the same goal, you can get there. The, um, the issue for the issue and sorry, I'm turning this into my therapy session. Um, the issue, <laughs> the issue for me is to just like, is to understand how to deal with big, bigger personalities. You know, when, when someone else is also has, it's like, we're the same person try with the same goal, but try trying mm-hmm. to like, who's get who's the one that's gonna to get us there. And I, um, Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a good collaborator when it comes to ideas and getting getting like a good product out when it comes to a song or, or a production or something like that. But when it comes to like, you know, ideas fighting against you, it's like, what, which one are we going to use? It's like, just realize that it's a good mm-hmm. thing that you have ideas and that there's things that are here and whatever happens, however it turns up is going to be how it turns up. I don't know. This is a whole different thing, but <laughs> it's just, uh, it's <laughs> well, just, I, uh, I mean, I have a question for you. Okay. My question for you is, do you consider yourself to have a big personality? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the, the like mindedness in that arena, just yeah, clashing. I, I would say it's, it's like for, <laughs> to use a, you know, a, aggressive masculine thing it's like it's like type a personality it's like you want you think sometimes i'm in a situation where i know that like oh i have no i have no opinion i have no idea in in a situation like you take the lead go go with it and then i will like if something if an idea comes at me in that situation and i'm like oh i feed off of that and that's the, that's like a really good collaborative situation for me. But when I yeah. hear something and maybe I'm not in the position where I'm not like the producer, I'm not like the band leader, I'm not whatever. It's hard for me to take, to, to take a seat. It's hard for me to, to lay back and not express what I think is going to be, make the thing the best it could be. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. It's hard. It's really feeling passionate. Hard. You, 
you feel passionate about making things better. I do. And I do. That's yeah, accurate. I, yeah. It's that whole dating, dating each other thing. Yeah. It's like you have to figure out how to get past those hiccups that are going to happen. And the, and the part about dating, like, you know, understanding someone else's quote unquote stuff, like they're what makes them them, like the, the great stuff about them that might, you know, aggravate you sometimes. Like I, I sure, I'm sure I piss my wife off about something every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it. And like, there's like little things, but it's, it doesn't matter. Cause once you, once you get to the point where you're like, Oh, that's just, that's cool. And, and, this it's all it's all gravy you know it's it's fine that's the point that i would love to get to professionally and i'm still working on it and i think that it's something yeah. that's important for young musicians to hear to know that it's okay to have to work through those things there's really good aspects to that type of personality but you know you need to know when to dial it back um which is something that i've i've learned over the yeah. years but a hundred percent and there's always something to learn from that you're learning something every single time it happens um yeah it's like this weird sort of uh like false illusion like illusion of like when i was a kid what i thought it would be like to be in a band if you're you know a teenager and you've never been in a band or you're just getting into one mm -hmm. it's you know <laughs> you're in for a roller coaster it'll be worth it but just know that it's not easy and establish your communication as soon as possible. It, it's just, it's just so valuable. The best thing about my first band in high school is that none of us were good enough to get mad at each other. <laughs> perfect. That sounds like the perfect first band. <laughs> it's the per perfect first band. Uh, it's like, yeah. When you, uh, after you left Berkeley, so, all right, you're at Berkeley, you hate music <laughs> and you move to, yeah. you move to California when uh yeah. was, is that the right timeline or am i missing anything um i stayed in boston for i think five years total maybe four and a half uh my girlfriend at the time she was also at berkeley and she, we waited until she graduated um so i was just working at the bread and circus in back bay yeah uh, like stocking groceries badass um, where did you live when you were in boston i was on uh fuck What's the street? Um, I was in Back Bay. Like Beacon um, or, like or Commonwealth? Beacon Street, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was at Beacon. Nice. Um, in the studio apartment that was just so fucking expensive. I was so jealous of people that lived in Back Bay. Like I tried to make friends with people that lived on Newberry Street or, or Commonwealth or Beacon Street because most of them had, mm -hmm. had like roof access. So we would um i had friends that were djs and stuff so they would always have parties and i would have all the gear like i oh i had a pa system and and i was like nice. all right well we're gonna keep jesse around because he's got all this gear and uh it you know and he can lug it around that's fine so i remember <laughs> going to so many parties on newberry street and just being on the roof and just causing and just making so much noise you know police coming yeah. and not knowing where it's coming from and it's just so fun so fun to live down in down in that area yeah that that whole that whole area is just so awesome there's just so much happening at any given point and i i loved living there besides like the winter and 
the pain in the ass of having a vehicle for like the last two years I was there. Um, yeah, just back Bay was great. Every time I go to Boston, I just have to like wander around the old hood and just, you know, reminisce for a little while. So I think I had better memories of just like living in Boston than actually going to Berkeley. Exact same, Um, exact same feeling. Yeah. I still feel very nostalgic for the city, the school, Mm -hmm. like they could take it or leave it. It's weird walking on the campus now. Yeah. The school can go fuck itself, but the city is pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Whenever they call me asking for money for the telethon, I, I, I tell them, I'm like, Hey, um, I don't ever want you to call me ever again. (laughs) Please lose my number. Lose my number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But is there like some part of you like, man, I just want to go back and just like fucking kick ass there and then just like, you know, double bird and the problem is paper and just like call it a day. I probably wouldn't kick ass. <laughs> Come on. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a much better player than I than I was when I was there, but it's um I don't know. I think the dynamic between between myself and and the professors would still be pretty pretty strained. I I yeah. I, I think actually more now than before, I would be more likely to be like, "Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know about that, but maybe that that uh, desire to want to ask more questions and to be a little bit more. Well, I, I have a way better fucking work ethic than I did then. So yeah, maybe yeah. It, it would probably be a much better experience than than it was before, just because you can you can take hold, you can you can kind of grasp onto the things that you know aren't bullshit, and then you can you can improve on on those kinds of things. So yeah, it would probably be better. Yeah, it, it would definitely be better. I remember the counselor telling me when I left Berkeley that like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 20 months or 20 years from now, you can always come back and finish. I'd be like, eh, maybe 20 years from now. We'll see. Um, yeah. Like if I can go there for free. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. There's uh, maybe definitely like an ego, an ego part of me that like wants to like to do it, but I don't think I would enjoy it anymore. It would just basically be as a fuck you. Which isn't a good reason to do anything. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about like ways to act when you're on a gig. Um, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. The complete opposite. Yeah. When, uh, oh my God, I was going to ask you, I had something perfect in my head. And it's gone. That's all right. That's, that's what this show is all about. Basically it happens once, once every episode. So you said that you did go, you, you stayed in Boston for a while. But then yeah. you went to California. It was a California thing, um, just a desire to get away away from the winter and have a complete opposite perspective on things. Like you know, you go to Southern California, coming from the Northeast, it's like the complete opposite, but also offers a lot more musical opportunities for sure, or, or yeah. opportunities in 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 just business or or entertainment in general. So, what what was uh, the story behind that? Uh, it was kind of twofold. Like I had been to California a bunch of times growing up and I always loved Northern California. I was obsessed with San Francisco. I was like, this is my vibe. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time, she lived in San Francisco. And so like during the summers when she wasn't in school, we would go stay there for a couple months and then come back 
And uh, when she graduated, she got an opportunity in LA and we're like, perfect. Like we're ready to be in California. LA is not my favorite place, but I was like, it's a stepping stone. So we got a house in Manhattan beach and I started working for a water company and playing for her and playing for a bunch of other songwriters between LA and San Diego. Um, it was just basically working three jobs and playing as much as I could. And that time was when I really cut my teeth and learned how to play with songwriters, which is a whole, I think a whole other ball game. That's yes. where I learned to be musical. Um, and I learned so much from songwriters who had extremely strong opinions about what they wanted from me. And it was learning how to hear those things gracefully and then deliver them. Um, so there's a great Americana scene in San Diego. Like it's, it's still thriving. Hmm. Um, and I think we were in LA for maybe two or three years. And then I made the move to San Diego, which I was there for almost a decade. Wow. Yeah. And like, again, like San Diego, I knew I wasn't going to be there forever, but there was a music community there, which was really important. And it wasn't extremely competitive. It was, it was supportive. It was comfortable. Like people had their bars and their coffee shops where they played there was a, it was a pretty well insulated scene. Um, and I just, I learned so much from every single person I played with, whether it went great or it went terrible. Yeah. San Diego is, is, you know, it's, it's a pretty sweet vibe there. <clears throat> so I was just talking about San Diego with, with, uh, my sister and brother-in-law the other day, they went there on vacation, but one of my, uh, it's one of my favorite places to go to play because we play, we don't have like a huge following in San Diego. So we'll play a, a spot in, in ocean beach called Winston's it's near Hodad's yeah. and, um, yeah, go over to the Hodad's and get a burger and a shake and then feel terrible for the set and then eventually feel better in the morning. Perfect. This is just the way it's supposed to go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But it's such, it's such like, it's so laid back. You just walk down to the beach, like that whole, like to live in that atmosphere just sounds incredible, but yeah, it, it's, it's a fun place to go and just to kind of like live this alternate life for, for 24 hours and, and then yeah. eventually go to shitty LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, California in general is really hard to tour out of. Mm -hmm. So it or tour in because it's like you have large gaps in between, I would say, bigger markets. Yeah. Um, and so people in San Diego, I'm not saying everybody, so nobody get offended. Um, they, they get comfortable and they don't want to venture outside of that. Um, and to me, like I just got stagnant okay. in it. And it's like, it was great. I learned a lot. It was really exciting. I got to play all the venues that I wanted to play there. And then for me, I just got to a point where I was like, okay, it's time to, to get nervous and to get scared and to be uncomfortable again. I just got way too comfortable there. 
Yeah. That feeling of, it's funny because if you get too comfortable and it sounds, it's a healthy thing to do. Like that feeling of like, you know, I probably shouldn't be this comfortable right now. I probably like what else is out there. And then that feeling of just kind of being scared and nervous. That's a, it's, it's hard to recognize that as a good feeling when it's happening. But then when you eventually come out of it, you realize, Oh, that was, that was completely necessary. Um, it's, but it doesn't sound like it was really, really difficult for you to break into that, that music scene in San Diego or, or, you know, LA and, and to be able to play with all these artists and play all those venues and make it happen within uh, what a 10 year period or within, within a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you're in one place long enough, you can build relationships and build a reputation and people just start seeing you around and that's an easy way to get work. Um, as well as just being good at what you do and being reliable. I just felt like I knew kind of like when I got to that point where I was like, I think I've gotten enough. I can get as much as I can get out of this situation. And like, that was, I I feel like a really good place to really get, uh, to take the training wheels off Mm -hmm. because it's every gig still matters. If it's, you know, it doesn't matter what venue or small festival or whatever it is. It's like, it matters what you're doing. Yeah. And I feel like that mentality changes over time. Like when you're young, you want to play like the huge, huge, like I want to get in front of as many people as possible. And yes, of course, still want to do that. But like, um, then you find the joy and like the fun and playing those, those kind of historic haunts and those small spots and like those, you know, whatever the four, hundred capacity, 500 capacity just like feels so good when you're playing in it. Cause you get, mm-hmm. you're like, it's like hot and sweaty and it's loud and it's fun. And it's, it's just like, it's just so fun. Yeah. I remember in San Diego, the first time I got to play the Casbah, I was just like, I fucking made it. I fucking made it. It's like <laughs> yeah. one of those just like bucket list venues. That's really dirty and grimy, but it's historic and it's got, so much vibe in it like so many big things happened in that's that small little shitty room and i think being able to appreciate those moments like whatever level or whatever step you're at is like having those goals those reachable goals and then celebrating them when you get them it's just it's i try to remind myself of that still to this day you have to you drive yourself crazy (laughs) <laughs> if, if, if you don't because yeah. it's like then you start feel like you're going in circles and stuff and, and that doesn't feel good at all yeah when you came out of there was nashville did someone move move to nashville did you just think like hey that's the next move were you starting to get in since you were getting into playing with more um singer songwriters and stuff like that and then playing musical like i know what you mean by delivering what a singer songwriter is telling you to do like, you know, most of the time it's like, can you do like not play the drums, but play the drums, things like that. And, you know, using different ways to create the same vibe, but with less and, and, you know, shakers and different types of textures on the drum set, all those things that, um, I was terrible at for a long time, but, (laughs) but you have to learn when, (laughs) when you start playing with, playing with singer songers and stuff. And, 
every song has a bar yeah. to bar two randomly put in there somewhere. Yeah. Usually in the most like unnatural spot. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> this, this doesn't feel right. Uh, yeah. Like you're like, okay, I see what you're doing. Like once all the pieces come together, Yeah. but songwriters are like a whole other beast. Cause sometimes there's not a format to a song. There's never a chorus or sections never repeat um or you get like the random you know odd bar um which i love it's just like you have to pay attention you have to be present you can't just phone it in and fake it uh, but i think one of the more entertaining requests that i got was you know can you play it more purple you know like people have a different vernacular like they don't necessarily use the same terms you and i use as drummers that are comfortable and we know it's learning how to translate another language, which I find very intriguing. How did you play it more purple? What, what was your approach to that situation? That that's interesting because I mean, what, what's it called when people see colors? Uh, I, I was think. just talking to Haley about that the other day. Um, I don't know the word, but yeah, hearing things and seeing things in color is just awesome. Yeah. And so weird. Yeah, it's I, like, I got to Google it or it's, it's going to drive me crazy. Well, I can do it really quick. What is it called when you hear colors? I, it helps if I spell colors right. <laughs> Synthes, synth, synthesia? Yes. Yeah. Is that what yeah, it, sounds, is that it? That sounds right. Yep, synthesia. There it is. All right. Um, Musicians talking science. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a new segment on the show where yeah. musicians talk about some shit they know absolutely nothing about and they try to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, <laughs> with with absolute conviction. Yes, that's, you have to. I, I know all those people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, I think just getting out of your own perspective and trying to get into someone else's and get in their head to me is really fascinating. And I yep. think, you know, to, to note on the purple thing, I think it was just adding a darker texture somewhere in there. Um, like shakers became just a huge part of a lot of what I did in San Diego. Um, and my mentor at the time, Marco Giovino, uh, I've learned a lot from watching him and listening to how he played, um, and I stole so many things from him, like so many ideas, because they just, they spoke to me. Uh, and he was the one that suggested that I come to Nashville because he was living, he was living here um, and he was good friends with a band, uh, a lady in LA that I was playing with. And that's how I met him. Um, okay. This is like the most backwards way of explaining the story. Yeah, it was Marco who was just like, you would do really great in Nashville. I think you should be here. Um, and so I was, I came to play a gig here. I was like maybe in town for all of 12 hours. And that had, that was all I saw of Nashville. And then my wife and I decided we were just going to sell her house and move across the country and bought a house. And it was through Marco 
that I started getting my first Americana gigs. Like he, he vouched for me. And then it was just, again, like one person sees you play that could lead to another gig, which could lead to another five gigs. Mm -hmm. Um, so just being present and, um, being musical. Present musical and prepared for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, It goes a long way. It's like, I don't, I don't play chops like that's not my style i have a lot of respect for it it's just that's never really done it for me right there there's a lane for that sort of playing like there's a lane for me to exist and be very meat and potatoes sort of playing and then there's another lane for more of the chop stuff and it's you know not feeling bad about it i guess right I always feel like I have, I, it, it's too late for me on the chops train. There's just so many people that are so good at it. And then you see a video of some three-year-old that is just like crushing chops. And I'm just like, yeah, well, that'll never be me. Um, <laughs> and I don't really necessarily want it to be. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. I, I feel like getting into that, that's cool that you got, had an in into that Americana market because I mean, Americana in Nashville is just like, it's like the mafia basically. Yeah. And, uh, it's such a hard group of people to get in with because it's, you know, and and I feel like this is more on the, the, like the business end of it and and maybe not necessarily the, um, the, the artist end because the artists are, are great and it's all about being, being authentic and it's all about, um, you know, be being like true to the music and, and putting out like the best stuff and being and having like the most vulnerable songs that really connect with people. But then, um, but it's just a hard, it's a hard scene to get into. You have to like really prove yourself. It's clicky. It's, it's, it's very clicky. Yeah, for sure. And from the, from the freelance musician aspect, it's a lot easier to kind of break in and, and have connections, mm-hmm. um, as a band, yeah, that's, it's, it's a whole other, it's the wild west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long have you been in Nashville now? Uh, seven years. I think this year might be eight. Okay. It's somewhere in that seven to eight years. So still like I would consider relatively new. Yeah. I'd say once you hit a decade, that's when you start feeling like, okay, this is home now. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how it felt to me in, in Boston. I was there for, I was there for a good 11, uh, 11 years. Oh, know. wow. I was there for a long time. I it, it it got its hooks in me and kept me kept me for a long time because I probably would have either moved to New York or moved to um I I did consider moving to Nashville for for a little while and it's something that enters my mind um here and there but uh it's it's just like it just seems like I don't know moving moving for me like living in Boston and moving from place to place and apartment to apartment over the years. Now moving to me just feels like someone taking my fingernails off. So (laughs) I really, um, don't want to do it, (laughs) but it's fair. You know what I mean? But I know that I know that like, it's one of those things where you have those regrets in your life. Um, where you're like, Oh, could it, could I have made something else happen if I either moved to New York, LA or Nashville? But I don't know. Who who knows? I mean, like the, the good thing about Nashville, there's plenty of people that work here, but don't live here. 
They just come in right. for work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is I'm not even good enough to not live there and work there. <laughs> no, I'm saying you <laughs> should move here <laughs> and not move here and still get all the gigs. That's the trick. I do. Yeah. I do love the people that I know that live, that live there though. That it's such, it's such a, Oh, it's such a hard pull, you know, because I have so many just fantastic friends that, that live there and, and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that people that I love, love to, loved to play with before they moved there and people that I love and, and would love to play with again. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's just one of those, one of those things. It's, it's a magical place and it's also a hard place. Like there's plenty of days, you know, when I am working regularly where I'm just like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Like I need a break. It's like that whole, um, people not being able to turn it off. It's like when you're constantly like in the middle of it or being reminded there's like some gig I should go and watch or I should go schmooze with this person. I fucking hate that. Like I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that part of the game. So still being here and being surrounded by it is overwhelming. It's just, again, just trying to like close the lens a little bit. So, I mean, there's, there's pluses and minuses to it. Like obviously living here, you have access to the people and the venues and, and the gigs. Um, but if you can't turn it off, I, I find it quite wearing. Yeah. I, I feel like most, I wonder how those people that can't turn it off, if they also get sick of that. I wonder if this, it's something that they put on to just, f- that they feel like they just have to do. And that's a complete, uh, I, I, I don't have any examples. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure if that would be true, but mm-hmm. it's, just my, it's just my perspective on just how exhausting it looks. <laughs> Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, we're, I know we're alienating of... ourselves from like all of these people. They're going to be yeah. like, oh, well, you don't like us and fuck you. No. Well, but... that's how I lost that gig. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for podcast. having me on your podcast, Jesse. Um, I have to move back to LA now. <laughs> yeah. I, I just lost all my gigs. Cool. <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think I know plenty of people that, that can't turn it off and like they find their own ways to kind of recharge. And honestly, like I've worried about them in the pandemic, like being isolated be like, how, how do you handle this when you aren't getting that energy or that validation Mm -hmm. or that community from people, which I think is a valid concern, you know, kind of go hand in hand with talking shit about people that do that um but yeah i don't know i i I honestly don't know because i can't relate to what that's like yeah i feel like live streaming has helped that a bit it's something that allowed a lot of people to have to learn a new skill but also be able to still connect with people whether it be at a more uh, in a more distant way um because you're not exactly, you don't really know, you're not really getting much back um, as far as, uh, you know, other than other than people commenting things. Like I do a weekly live stream on Wednesdays and it's been so fun. 
Like I'm not the best guitarist in the world. Like I, I literally, you know, I played, I've played for a long time, but never really got in, you know what I mean? Like got in there and really learned how to do it until like two, like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really enjoying playing to an audience of, you know, 40 people a week or something. And then that's awesome. sometimes it gets, it gets viewed a lot, but it's just so fun. It's just so fun to do and have an outlet for it. And sometimes yeah. from, sometimes from week to week, I'm like, man, I, I'm kind of getting tired of me. Is everyone else getting tired of me? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just like, you know, I guess, I guess I should just keep doing this for myself really and just try to keep getting better at it and use it as a tool whether there's diminishing returns or not but um, yeah but whatever i don't care (laughs) when the when the intention is good and the intention is to improve you know yeah Yeah. then, then you can't really go wrong what have you been have you been doing anything like have you built any new hobbies have you leaned into something else during this time that you that you can like be proud that you're proud of or that you didn't think that you would have done in in, in the past um it, it's kind of ebbed and flowed that the big consistent thing across the board is learning how to record at home with okay. minimal minimal gear and still get decent sounds um so that's, that's been an adventure, an ongoing adventure, um, and a test of patience. Uh, did some gardening earlier on, did some long distance biking, got into some serious cooking, trying some recipes I never tried before. Um, do you watch any YouTube cooking, cooking stuff? Like any, anybody on, on YouTube? No, my wife and I started watching the great British baking show. Okay. Which, if you're ever feeling anxious or upset and you just need something like that just kind of feels good, yeah. I swear, just put on that show. It's, <laughs> it's like zen, zen food for your souls. That's awesome. Um, I have a recommendation. Okay. A buddy of mine who was actually on the podcast uh, a few weeks back, his name's Nick, um, he, he showed me, we went down this whole YouTube wormhole and... He showed me uh, Basics with Babish, which he's this guy that lives in Brooklyn that um, didn't know anything about cooking beforehand. And now he's like sponsored. He makes millions of dollars by all of his views on his YouTube channel. And he he cooks all of these. Uh, he'll go through different uh, TV shows. And when they make ridiculous stuff like on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, Danny DeVito's character makes like this this uh, vodka ham or something. So he goes through and he, he actually does it and makes it and tries to eat it and it's disgusting. And then what he'll do is he goes, here's let's try to make something of this. And he goes through the whole thing. And it's it's a really cool show. And he does a voiceover. He has a really like deep like voice that is pleasing to listen to um mm-hmm. so i would recommend that and okay. maddie matheson he's kind of like he's like this big dude with tattoos he never wears a shirt and he just cooks the most ridiculous stuff and it's like it's just kind of it's just crazy uh That's he's a little bit awesome. of an, he's a little bit of annoying but <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch every now and okay. then but you'll have to send those to me i will i'll send you links i'll send you links to them because they're, they're good um well that's cool yeah got the and green thumb we- going the biking and some cooking 
Sweet. Yeah, and we got a puppy like almost two months ago, and that's that's pretty much sucked up all my time. Yes, they will do that. What kind of puppy is it? We think he's a Chawini. I uh, don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, ch- Chihuahua um, Dachshund. Got, oh, gotcha. Chawini. Got, I got it. Chawini. Yeah, there's it. all sorts of fun names for that that mix that I can't remember. That one's the only one that's stuck in my brain. Um, but he's very cute, very much a puppy, needs a lot of attention. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really good, um, again, to kind of get outside of myself in my own needs in the yeah. moment and just to focus on something else. And you're not working on any hair modeling or your portfolio. I saw the that. Hair. You're doing. I wasn't sure if it was a joke <laughs> or serious. I wasn't sure. It's a joke. Uh, (laughs) I just like to say that because like you wouldn't believe some of the things people say to me like or ask when they see me out in public, like the amount of people that will just come up and like touch my hair or ask if they can touch my hair. And I'd be like, yeah, uh, 10 bucks and you can touch my hair (laughs) and they'll reach into their pocket and get money. Yeah. And usually like I'll wait until I see the cash and then I'll just say like you can just touch my hair at the uh the side piece shows you should have a whole separate like it would be like the kissing booth but instead instead of that like kind of lemonade stand style you set it up you sit behind it and it's the make a sign on the front says touch my hair 10 bucks and people line line up they'll do it they'll do it on music or uh on broadway and in nashville you'll you'll get some takers for sure but you'll have probably gross hair yeah, I don't think I want anyone on Broadway touching my hair. That's 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 a hard pass. <laughs> that's that's not in my band. <laughs> no. One time like a, a guy came through the window, like the bar we were playing, the drums. Uh, the back is to an open window right at street level. Mm-hmm. And this guy just like put his entire body on my back uh. when I was playing. And he was a big, just sweaty, nasty guy. And scared the shit out of me, obviously. Oh, that's, that's no good. It, so, yeah, I've like, I just got traumatized from being touched by strangers on Broadway. It's like, I've, I'm behind all this metal and plastic because I want to be protected, not because I want some stranger to lean on my back. I, uh, you just gave me the title of this episode. <laughs> Perfect. Touched by strangers on Broadway. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing to happen, but it's an amazing podcast title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I had I had a similar experience. I was playing at this bar in uh, in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I think it was called Red Square, which may or may not be there anymore. It was so cold up there. It was in the middle of the winter. It was probably in the negative digits. It was so fucking cold. But we're playing inside, and it's one of these places that kind of turns into a club at the, you know, maybe around 10 o'clock or 10, 1030. So we're playing, and it's literally, imagine just like a long, just a long room. There's no width to this room, long room, bar on one side, and then you come up some stairs, like, that are on one side of the thing, one side of the room, and then up there, the band has to figure out a way to kind of make that area into a stage. So I'm up there, I'm playing, but there's nothing behind me. It's like 
boops it's just more restaurant behind me so yeah it's just open like you can you could just walk up by the band and come right behind me give me a you know back rub or whatever it was just kind of um just a weird place that you uh, i never would ever want to play ever again but the place turned into a club 10 o'clock 10 30 whatever it was and then there was people behind me that were just fucking with me for for like the next 45 minutes there's girls like just like just grinding their backs on me or their butts or whatever and then just dudes coming up and just feeding me drinks and it was just really uh it was so bizarre and (laughs) i never want to do it again (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a mixed bag of like cool i'm getting drinks and oh shit they're fucking with me that was fun but it but when when people started like dancing and like bumping into me imagine like playing drums and people like oh you know it's just it becomes this whole thing and at one point there's definitely been times where i've been in small places where people don't necessarily know that there's music there when you go Mm -hmm. when they go where they they start fucking with people and i've definitely thrown drumsticks at people mid-song i've whacked people's hands that have tried to like spin my cymbals while oh God. while playing i've gone whack and you know you know how bad that hurts um, yeah and all kinds of stuff you know judging by how we talked about my personality <laughs> beginning of this i don't really take a lot of shit when it comes to outside influence at a gig um, nor should you no that's no, like nobody it's, should. It's, a, it's a safe place you know yeah it should be a safe place I, we get we get fucked with a lot though. You play yeah. a lot. You play. I mean, the gigs that I've seen on the internet of you playing, it's, it's all super legit. But I imagine that, like, you know, on Broadway, just going into a place uh, and and not knowing who's going to come in can lead to maybe some interesting scenarios. Yeah, I mean, especially with my back to the street, like I feel yeah. very vulnerable in that sense. But like with side piece, because we're all women, it attracts a certain type of person and you can usually tell when you see them they're like oh that dude's gonna be trouble like something's gonna happen and one time annie was on the road with marin and our friend vanessa mcgowan was subbing in and she's like from new zealand doesn't take any shit like just like you like don't fuck with me and this guy comes up and like like there's no stage like the stage is maybe like that high and he comes up on stage and he like tries to put his arm around her. She's like, what the fuck? Don't fucking touch me. And just like goes off. Was it like middle, middle of a song? Middle of a song. But the best part was is she didn't miss a damn note. Oh, of course. She didn't miss a note. And it was very much like Annie, that guy trying to feed her pizza. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great story. I was like, so we have had so many weird experiences like. One time, I think something was happening outside the window. It looked like a girl had been roofied and she was throwing up in the street. And like Megan Mullins is a nurse and she's like watching like a hawk. And like all of a sudden she's just gone. She just left the stage. And I like look behind me and she's on the street, like checking up on the girl. I've had to jump out of the window for something. Like, like superheroes. Well, it's just like, you know, you can't put up with shit. Otherwise, the shit's just going to keep happening. The nice thing about, like, the great thing and the great dynamic about your band is that 
you're all so pro and you're all like so good at what you're doing and you have it so dialed in, you can do stuff like that. You can be like, you know, you're not some, some new people to town that got this opportunity. Like you, you're a mainstay, people respect you. And if some shit's going on outside, your, your bass player or fiddle player can run outside and fucking sort it out. <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody will bat an eye. It's like all of us have seen enough and done enough to be like, not putting up with it. Like right. we're just going to establish this right now. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about the staff at that bar, like when that guy came in on, through the window and was laying on my back, the security guard immediately came over and he was like, yo, if that happens again, punch him in the face. You won't get in trouble. Right. Yeah, of like, course. Like anything ever happens like that, just handle it. And so like that makes us feel empowered to protect ourselves and also just be like, nope, that it's not that type of show. You can't get away with that here. Right. And I imagine, and this is a whole a whole other thing, you know, being being a bunch of women on stage. Like I've been in the audience when there is an all female band before and and you know you you look around and you see like the guy you said like oh this guy's gonna be trouble like as as an audience member you see around you people like like pigs like dudes that are just like oh trick you know trick them out blah 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 and they think that it's okay to go up and like cat call or say something during a song or whatever and it's fucking bullshit and i think that i mean just being super talented women in a band all on stage you probably have to put up with so much fucking bullshit because mm -hmm. dudes think it's fine to do <laughs> it's yeah like, and it's not it's mind-blowing it's it's absolutely mind-blowing but the great thing is that like pretty much everybody on stage feels empowered to just say whatever like annie yeah. gives no fucks yeah. Like if someone's being inappropriate at a show, she will call them out and then it becomes the show at the show. Yeah. It becomes like part of, I don't want to say shtick, but it just becomes another layer that people get fascinated by. Right. Yeah. Yep. Not to encourage people to be shitty people at shows. Listen, if but. you're if you're at the bar, um, you know, watching side piece, make sure you have one too many drinks, and let's just see what happens. Uh, Godspeed to you. <laughs> You'll have the Fender logo imprinted on your forehead, or, yes. the Vic, or the Vic Firth logo imprinted on your hand, or whatever. You see Megan Mullins, like you wouldn't fuck with Megan Mullins. Like, I wouldn't fuck with anybody. No. I wanted to ask you about. You know, we talked a little bit about gear before, but you play you play a brand of cymbals that I've never heard of before. Yeah, uh, Marat Daril. They're Turkish. They're awesome. Um, and I think right now they're just starting to get more American artists. They've, okay. it's, I think, just like a handful. Um, but they're some of the most beautiful cymbals I've ever heard. Just really dark and moody. Mm -hmm. And they record really, really well. Okay. Um, I totally dig them. I, you should totally check them out. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love, I, I'm always like, I'm sure uh, like so many drummers are that you're always on the hunt for the, for the sound, for that, that great feel and cymbals are such a massive part of that. Um, you know, I've, I've had Zildjian cymbals that I love and ones that I hate and, and, you know, all kinds of brands. I went through like a, 
pasty, pisty, however you want to say it, uh, phase for a little bit. We actually, when I was at Berkeley, cause my, my teacher used them and, and it was just kind of the style of music that I was into at the time. But, um, and now I'm on more of like a, a Istanbul, Agop dark phase. Yeah. Um, I have this, I have, uh, <clears throat> a set of, I have the 20 inch Agop signature series crash, the 20 inch signature series ride and the 15 signature series Agop hi hats. I fucking love those symbols so much, but the problem is with those symbols is I can't really take them on the road with carbon leaf because they're too, they don't cut, they don't cut through, but they're, they're, they're really, really great for recording. Like, like, like the other ones. So, um, but I love symbols like that. I like a nice wash. I like a, a nice washy textured sound, like, you know, uh, just kind of like floating through the music. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah, you'll totally dig the Marat Durrells. They're very similar to the Istanbul ones. Like, uh, yeah, they're just, they have a really natural decay. Okay. It's yeah. not like, you know, uh, the ones I have are super dark, but like I hate pingy, bright symbols where you're just like, you can tell they're small. Yeah. And like, like thin in the wrong way um one of my favorite crashes that i have which just fucking cracked the last uh, the last tour that i was on so i'm gonna have i have to replace it because i love it so much um i I still use it because because i love it so much but it's a uh a my the minor hand hammered uh ultra or extra thin and it's a it's a 20 inch crash and the fucking thing it sounds it sounds like it just sounds so good it's so dark and it's so just like dynamic sounding it has like a it sounds like a fucking explosion when you hit it and it's just um oh my god if you know i know you hate i know you hate all other symbols now because because you play those but if you ever see somebody with one or if i'm in nashville and you're at a show you gotta you gotta hit this fucking symbol it's ridiculous okay i'll have (laughs) to check it out yeah it's pretty sweet yeah i like interesting symbols and just like anything that's got personality to it like i'm into it yeah do you have an approach like in in your video when you were playing, uh, it's like the first, the first shot, you're playing the huge, that huge place. What was the name uh-huh. of the place? Oh, uh, um, Sten, the, the arena in, uh, Oregon, which isn't helpful. My memory, my recall is terrible. I mean, you've played so many places. I'm n- neither is mine's terrible too. Mine's even worse. Like <laughs> I forget, I forget the word the sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't matter. Big place. Do you have a, a different approach that you play in a, in a, in a size place like that? Do you use ears? Do you use monitors? Do you try to lighten up or do you play even harder? Um, that particular gig, I was the only one on ears. Everybody else was on uh, monitors because I had a click. I was going to say, and, was it a click situation? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and for me, I always would rather be on ears because that way I can have a balance of like what everyone else is doing. Feel the same um, way. Once I switched to ears, I never wanted to go back. No, it's like I have so much more control over everything that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that able that enables me to be more dynamic in some senses. But that gig, it was just like a bash, bash it gig. <laughs> bash um, fest. Yeah, which like for me, like there was so much adrenaline, like adrenaline playing in front of 60,000 people. 
thank God that so was many that. people, 60,000 people. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like the thought of that now and watching the video of that now, like gives me major anxiety, which is really? so fucking funny. It's just like that many people together after a year of being isolated right. is, is scary. And it's unnatural to see that many people together. Um, but yeah, thank God that was like a bashing gig. Cause I had so much adrenaline going. There was no way I was going to be dynamic. Right. And to have, and it's such a benefit when you have that much adrenaline to have the click in your head, because I mean, you know, oh, you're yeah. going to rush, rush the fuck out of everything. If you're not held back by a click, uh, I know, well, you know, I know I would. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause that um, was my first time playing a venue that large in front of that many people. And so it's like the, the excitement and the nervousness, like I'm not going to trust my internal clock to like count off songs. I want right. to get it right. Right. And I want it to feel good. Even if I'm excited. Yeah. I, it's, it's amazing that there, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of people out there that do it, but you know, I have a buddy that plays for plays keyboards for, um, Katy Perry. And, you know, you think of like the Tony Roysters of the world and mm-hmm. all of, all of these drummers or, or players that playing in front of that many people just becomes like, you know, playing at the bar on Broadway. I know. <laughs> you know, isn't that, weird. isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? Like I have never, I've never played anything that big. Like that, that was the biggest, biggest thing I've ever played was maybe like 6,000 people or something like that. And, um, uh, if that, but that it just seems so over the top. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's just unbelievable. It's so cool. I would love to do it someday, but, uh, um, like, like yeah. how does it feel to be bored? Like doing this thing yeah. that would make most people shit their pants. Yeah. Just another day going out to like, in, you know, this incredible production for, for 60,000 fans and it's perfect. And it's like the top of the tops. <laughs> Yeah, and you're just like like, just another day and like especially like watching adam marcello on that gig like he's like such looks like such a chill dude and like his playing like he's not over the top he's not flamboyant with his arms he's just steady and i'm like please tell me your heart is just pumping a little bit tell me like you're just a little bit nervous it'll make me feel better I definitely get to places like on long runs and stuff where I'm just like, okay, let's do this. And I feel good. And I, it, it doesn't even affect me, but like I said, it's not that many people, but there was this one time on the, uh, it was the sail across the sun cruise, which is the same six man, the same people that do the rock boat and all those, those cruises down in the South every year. <clears throat> um, Robert Randolph in the family band, he was, he was on the boat and he asked me to, he was doing like this big, band with all the different artists on the boat and of course it's like everyone is like trying to jockey for position to like who's going to be up front and be able to sing what song and all that and i just asked him i was like hey can i do one of the verses on the wait and i and i love that song i love the band levon helm is a huge inspiration to me i'm I'm also a singer but like i really wanted to uh sing sing on that song so i asked him like hey dude can i do can i do one of the verses like yeah take Take the first verse. It's all you. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was going to be completely fine, but I was in a position where I usually either have a guitar in my hand or I'm behind a drum kit. So 
I'm up there holding a, holding a 58, nothing in front of me, no stage presence whatsoever <laughs> without having something in my hands or whatever. And my voice was just like, I didn't, I didn't have it. So like almost nothing came out. And I'm like, mm. I'm like so fucking nervous, but he was so great. Cause he's next to me with the lap steel and he's like, you got this man. You and he made me feel so, so much more comfortable. So the verses or the choruses were so much easier to sing than that fucking first. I should have never taken the first one. I should have taken, <laughs> I should have taken crazy Chester or, Go down, Miss Moses, or or some. I should have taken one of the other verses, but I was I was a. Uh, you live and learn. Next time yeah. I, I won't take that. Next time I won't take that first verse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but about that stadium gig, um, that was with an artist that I had never played with before, and oh wow, her, yeah, her entire regular band couldn't do the gig, so we were all subbing in. We had one rehearsal the week before like we had a week to learn the songs one rehearsal and then fly to Oregon which I think compounded the nervousness absolutely if I was with someone that I'd been playing with for years I don't think I would have like felt like I was gonna poo myself (laughs) of course (laughs) well this this now it's all making sense yeah I mean but that's part of like the the nature of the beast is sometimes you're gonna get those phone calls like with barely any time to prepare Mm -hmm. and you just have to do it. You have to like execute it and try, try not to make an ass out of yourself or anybody else. Yeah. I did. I had to do a gig. Um, it was opening for Philip Phillips and Matt Nathanson. It was when I was playing with Eric Hutchinson for, for, uh, it was like five, like a five day, five show run. It was my first time playing to a click on ears first time playing to tracks no time no rehearsal nothing i flew uh-huh. in i flew into columbus we were playing express live and um got to the venue saw eric met met everyone there and like all, i'd never played these songs before like i i'd rehearsed i'd practiced them like i was ready to go but i had never like the sound check for the gig and as the first of three you don't exactly get a ton of time to sound check so you know to set up a kit that i had never set up before in cases that you know i'm sure you're very familiar with your regular thing and your hardware where that all goes and what you put together and like maybe the little quirky things that you do with your own personal stuff but i had none of that and i was using the uh the drummer um Brian Taylor, who plays drums for Eric Hutchin normally, who is very, very good. And uh, he, I was using all of his stuff. And there was electronics, there was an SPD Roland sample pad that I had to use and trigger, and I had to find all the banks, and I had never seen it before. So I had, I wrote down which like numbers which bank is for the which song and which pad is the thing that i need to hit and i had to figure it out so i'm like i'm drawing squares on on a legal pad like this and like all right hit this square for this sound and this square for this it was ridiculous it was now i'm looking back now i'm looking back on it it's one of those things where it's like well you got to be prepared for all this stuff i'm like that's too much and uh yeah it's a little it was a little crazy but it works i mean we did it and you know there's a few hiccups and 
having to keep all that electronic stuff and yeah. like where where to hit things and then the bass player uh ian who's actually uh gonna be the next released episode of this podcast um nice. he was the one triggering all of the uh all of the the uh, tracks and, and the click and all that so it was a man that was trial by fire learning experience just like you know fucking show up and do it or it's going to be a complete train wreck yeah Yeah, and you did it and you did it and nobody Uh, died nobody died nobody died doing that with electronics too like yeah first time on that too never 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 use a sample pad before that gig i think that's almost what two almost two hours yeah yeah sorry (laughs) No, this is great. I love it. I love, I love having more, more it's, and you know, especially when it's somebody that I've never met before or never talked to before, it can Mm -hmm. be a little, it can always be like a little scary in for, for both people. Totally. Um, But, and this, this was great. Thank you. Thank you a a million times for, for doing it and and taking time. Thank you for asking me. I, I appreciate you. And I really dig your podcast. I I can't wait to dig into more. I really loved Annie's. I really love Haley's. So I'm a new listener now. Awesome. It's so fun to do. And, and, um, forever up in the Northeast or whenever we can, we can travel around again and, uh, and get the, the clown show on the road. Um, that'd be, it'd be fun to hang in, in real life and, and, uh, and talk stories and music and stuff. So yeah, man, that would be fantastic. Awesome. All right. Thanks for doing it. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, Megan. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please rate review and subscribe. It helps the show out so much only if you like it though, and stay tuned for the music after my spiel here. Uh, also you can check out the website, jessehumphrey.com and Instagram at jhumphreymusic to see all the stuff, to get all the links, do all the things. You can also email into the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. Ask a question. Tell me about your day. Tell me what you had for lunch. Whatever. doesn't matter. I want to hear from you. And I will be seeing you soon. Bye. Something to prove
worth my wandering heart.